What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Thursday, December 9th, 2021 edition of Locked on Dolphins. Bi-week vibes here for week 14, but that's okay because we just got done grinding the tape of week 13 and the 20-9 to victory for the Miami Dolphins over the New York Giants. Film observations, we got them. We're going to work our way through them. Let's dig into it. Buckle in. Here comes another episode coming at you, Locked on Dolphins. You are Locked on Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? This is your host, Kyle Krabs, here on Locked on Dolphins. Welcome to another episode, and I want to thank you guys for making Locked on Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Stat Hero, the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head to head fantasy matchups, winner take all. You can sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. We're chilling. Got the bye week. Um, which has been nice, you know, a little less urgency to flip the script and kind of get into the mentality of, of another game. And we know the opponent we have coming up next with the New York Jets. Uh, so this is a time for digestion. This is a time for uh, kind of finishing up a big win for Miami, the, obviously the fifth in a row. Uh, and it's been cool seeing some of the, the national outlets like Good Morning Football kind of talk the storylines of, who have the Dolphins beaten? And if anybody wants to turn their nose up to that, and if you do, that's fine. Like, I'm not really, I, I'm going to take any win I can get any week, regardless of who's playing, who's on the schedule. Wins feel good. And when you stack them together, they feel really good. And Miami has been able to stack five in a row. And what we want to do today on the show is talk about what I saw on film from the Dolphins in this matchup. Went through the all 22. Went on WQAM with Joe Rose on Wednesday morning and, and Zach Krantz and uh, talked a little bit about what some of those observations were. I want to bring all of them to you. And I want to start with uh, something that's maybe not the most sexy thing to talk about. We're going to talk a little special teams. Because I do think Miami's teams group um, is playing pretty good football. Uh, obviously... Once a week, you get a clip of Christian Wilkins on the punt team, uh, the punt return team, I should say, railroading somebody on the punt team on the other side of the football. And uh, Christian Wilkins was very close to having a blocked punt against the New York Giants. Very, very close. And obviously, we saw the first big splash uh, special teams play this season uh, two weeks ago against the Carolina Panthers with the blocked punt uh, that Justin Coleman recovered and, and got into the end zone for a touchdown. So the special team's heat has been dialing itself up, but I think it, it is interesting how Miami um, has different personnel groupings even going into the punt return team, and there's times where Mac Collins, who's uh, your star gunner on the outside, uh, he can be lined up as the man on the line of scrimmage uh, on the punt return team and not be playing gunner. Or Noe Benogany, uh, who I know everybody wants to see as much as they possibly can in hopes of salvaging that selection. I don't think you're going to see anything of flash or substance or hype uh, between now and the end of the year. 
But at the very least, Noah's dressing, and he's playing pretty well on kick coverage as a gunner. And, and no, you didn't draft that guy, and you aren't paying that guy to be a gunner on the punt punt team. I get it. But um, at the very least, to see those him find a role, something that he can have success with and contribute to the cause, I'm here for it. I want to root for this guy. I want to see him eventually settle in and, and live up to the billing and the, the potential that he has as a player. Building confidence in any capacity on the football field feels like a good step one. And him and Mac Collins right now are demons getting down the field. A lot of speed, very difficult to press and jam up. Uh, Noah had a couple opportunities to make some big plays at the, the point of fielding the punt, uh, but at the very least, he seemed to always redirect the returner away from whatever direction he wanted to go. And I'm sure you didn't tune into this podcast to listen to special teams talk. And that's okay. I only got one more talking point for you. It is pertaining to the field goal team. And no, it's not about Jason Sanders and the saga that he's had this year and struggling to make kicks with consistency. Uh, but it is an interesting trend that I've seen over the last two weeks and that everybody would come out over and over and over again and they would attack the right side of the field goal team, which is where uh, Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg at one point uh, were at and they, they yielded a blocked kick at one point in the season. Last two weeks, you've seen field goal block teams kind of flip and work over on the other side. And it looks like now they're trying their their hand with uh, Robert Jones is over there, or Solomon Kinley, one or the other, and uh, Jesse Davis. And it seems like now they're going after Jesse Davis and trying to uproot him. So that's just something to watch when you watch the field goal team. Take a look at the kick from the perspective of you're kicking the ball, the left-hand side, 77. I think he's a tackle. They're starting to come after him, and they're starting to test him a little bit, and that's they've had some good surges against that part of the line, and that's just a storyline we want to watch and make sure we shore up. But defensively, um, I had made the observation coming out of the Carolina game that I thought they had a four-man rush group that had a lot of success, and it was Andrew Van Ginkle, Adam Butler, Jalen Phillips, a three technique, and Emmanuel Agba, and boy, oh boy, did these guys get back after it again? Now they did mug Jerome Baker a couple of times, get him up into a gap or over top of the center. Uh, and there were a couple of times where he came, there were times where he dropped, but it was not the picket fence on the line of scrimmage and playing 10 yards catch coverage behind it. It was uh, very much a mono mono look that they were prompting. And Jalen, man... <sighs> We all saw the two sacks, but I think my favorite play from Jalen was the assist he got on Adam Butler's sack because he, they did a two-man twist game inside. And Jalen Phillips crashed into that center and Adam Butler came rolling around and Jalen was just as excited as Adam Butler was. And it was one of these first times, and you've seen it flashing the last couple of weeks, where Phillips brought the appropriate level of aggression and physicality to being the pick man on the game's inside. And he made a mess and created this massive lane for Adam Butler. So to see him execute it well, 
bring the proper mentality to those reps because that's been an adjustment for him, and then get as excited as he got for Adam Butler is really cool embodiment of what we're seeing from the defense. We're seeing more on the early downs of this base 3-4 look with Jerome Baker and Andrew Van Ginkle on the outside as your outside linebackers. Uh, That is a storyline where if teams start to test that, and I think somebody along the rest of the way will, whether it's the Jets or the Saints or the Titans, and if none of those guys do it, the Patriots will definitely do it. Those guys have to be ready to play big when it's all said and done. Because neither one of those guys is particularly big and stout, right? But it is how you can really get some penetration and some speed on the perimeter to complement the stout play that you have inside. I thought Raquan Davis uh, played great. I thought Christian Wilkins played great. Those two guys on the middle, uh, this has allowed them to get more of Zach Sealer in the game. Uh, just as far as kind of that that B gap alignment look, that four I or five. And uh, I've really liked the balance they found with their personnel groupings the last couple of weeks defensively. And the, and the move from Jerome Baker in early downs to end up being effectively a 3-4 outside linebacker is not a development that I had expected, but they first tried it against Baltimore, had great success. Duke Riley's been awesome. Duke Riley had one rep against uh, the Giants where he absolutely railroaded a lead blocker and pushed him back and got two yards of knockback into the backfield. Duke Riley. You know, he's, he's well known as a guy who can run, but not playing overly physical. Playing inspired football. Really inspired football. So I continue to be excited about what this new package for base looks like. Um, I don't think it's going to be a one-size-fits-all. I think at the very least uh, against New England, you're going to need some heavier sets, and then you're going to need whoever those outside linebackers are to be able to play big uh, and understand that the play-action passing that's going to be coming down the stretch, uh, you're going to have to be able to walk that tightrope between contributing in the run game and contributing in the pass game. Javon Holland, stud. Xavier Howard. Baited the throw for the interception. Uh, Javon should have caused another interception, should have had one of his own. E. Landon should have had an interception that was literally right in the breadbasket. A lot of the usual suspects with usual contributions outside of uh, some of the new stuff the past month that we've seen them doing in the early downs. Dolphins have been big winners lately, and as we know from the first half of the season, nobody likes to lose. Nobody plays anything to lose, including daily fantasy sports. Winning feels so much better, but for traditional fantasy sports, they're a long-term losing proposition because you never know who or what you're up against. Stat Hero is the first of its kind daily fantasy sports platform where it's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchups, winner take all. And here's the crazy part. Stat Hero shows you their lineups before you play and you handpick the team you want to face one-on-one. This never-before-seen innovation of a fantasy sports and sports betting hybrid has Stat Hero players clocking odds that are over four times better because you don't have to compete against thousands of experts or unknowns. Stat Hero puts you in control of your own fate. 
With Stat Hero, you are in control of the stakes. You decide how much you're going to play for, and Stat Hero has no choice but to take it because they're daring you to beat them. Stat Hero head to head is what daily fantasy sports should be one on one. You could sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on using promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. From here, I want to hit the offensive line specifically, and I want to hit Tua specifically, and I want to hit the return of Devontae Parker. I think I'd like to start with the line. Um, I don't know off the top of my head how these guys graded out against the Giants uh, from like pro football focus is just an example. I don't know how they graded out in those ideologies. But I walked away from this game and thought that this was collectively from left to right the best overall effort we got from the starting five all season long. I thought they were pretty solid. I thought the double teams looked really good. I thought the return of Michael Dieter, who was in a walking boot on Wednesday for walkthrough, and please help us if he misses more time, but I am encouraged by the fact that he was in the walkthrough uh, and not just on the sideline. Uh, hopefully it was preventative for whatever's been ailing him. Uh, but he played every snap on Sunday against the Giants. Fingers crossed because he looked good. Michael Dieter looked good. Um, the double teams up front, you know, and, and they're running a lot of, whether it's duo or inside zone or RPOing out of these looks, uh, a lot of these concepts call for double teams on your two interior defensive linemen. And they got they started to get enough push, whether it was it was Davis and Hunt on one combo, and then Dieter and Jackson on the other, or Eichenberg and Jackson and Dieter and Hunt. Regardless of what way the defensive formation was set, they got good foot movement or foot drive and, and movement up front, and it didn't always manifest itself with rushing yardage. It didn't manifest itself with wide open, vacant holes. Uh, But those double teams are kind of the core of what their running game wants to be because of how they blur the lines with RPOs because you can't just detach and get up the field, right? You have to move because if you're engaged at the line of scrimmage and your momentum on a, a block carries you beyond that one yard, you're not committing a foul. And you want to spill that defensive lineman into the lap of that linebacker. And you saw a number of instances where these Giants linebackers were kind of walked up into the, the defensive tackles and they got heavy hitters up front, the Giants do. Watching Robert Hunt bang heads with Dexter Lawrence was a lot of fun. One week after banging heads with Derek Brown, a couple of top 20 picks at defensive tackle, held his own one-on-one situations. But I was really encouraged by how well the fits were. You know, guys step in the right direction. They're getting hip to hip, pad to pad. They're making sure that that, that's an airtight combo and running the feet and getting some movement and creating challenges for those linebackers. And uh, if those holes can kind of be hit consistently or if the back is going to play peekaboo in the gap to force the linebacker to commit and then peel back against it, you can get some chunk gains that way. But I also thought 
Miami could have had two running touchdowns on the ground if not for some poor effort by 81. It was the Wildcat run in the second half. Uh, was a play in which uh, Gaskin presses right and peels back left. And Smythe was the blocker on the end of the line of scrimmage all the way to the right. And he got knocked back about three yards into the backfield, which then as Gaskin presses and folds back, it allowed that defender to get off of that block and unfortunately make a play. Uh, the other one early on just whiffed on a linebacker when stepping up uh, into the mess trying to go get the mic. They ran Austin Jackson on a power play uh, to try and pull and kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage. And Durham whiffed on the mic. And they seem to have it fit up pretty good otherwise. So when I say the offensive line, I thought that collective group had its best effort. I mean that. But unfortunately, uh, they kind of got hang out to dry with some missed blocks by the tight ends. So let's talk about Devontae Parker. Parker's return for Miami was a welcome sight. I think that's putting it mildly. The fact that he was back and had productive targets. Uh, he wasn't necessarily super high volume, but uh, the presence that he brought and the ability to catch outside the numbers definitely really popped. Uh, it, it allowed them to throw the ball downfield on a couple back shoulder throws and good touch on those reps and great work along the sideline from Devontae Parker. The problem with Devontae has never been the fact that he's not physically talented. We all know that. The challenge with Devontae Parker is the health and availability versus the cost that's now associated with him being on the roster. If he stays healthy through the main stretch the last, the next, last month of the season, and he plays like he did against the Giants, I'm going to be really glad we have Devontae Parker on the roster and we didn't end up trading him at the trade deadline. And then, of course, stock up for him uh, for clapping back at uh, Logan Ryan on social media. Told him to hold that L, in which I agree wholeheartedly. So, Devontae, you have my sincerest apologies for suggesting Miami should consider trading you at the trade deadline if you're going to bring that energy and you're going to bring that performance on a week-in and week-out basis. Super Bowl 56 at SoFi is less than 100 days away and on location, the official hospitality partner of the NFL is the only place to score once-in-a-lifetime Super Bowl ticket and experience package. Select your exact seats and choose from elite experiences featuring an exclusive pregame celebration with NFL legends, five-star LA hotels, and food by the great Wolfgang Puck. Visit onlocationexp.com slash SB56 for more information or search Super Bowl on location. That's onlocationexp.com slash SB56 or search Super Bowl on location. Perhaps you want to make a little money on the big game. Perhaps you want to make a little money between now and the big game to gamble even more money on the big game. BetOnline has you covered for all the season that remains with more props, odds, and lines than ever before on the way to the march to the playoffs. BetOnline is your number one spot for the sports action this season and every season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code LOCKEDON. 
basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. It is where the game starts. Which brings us to Tua. Everybody always wants to talk about Tua. Is Tua the answer? Is Tua going to stay this offseason? Can the Dolphins build around Tua? Should the Dolphins build around Tua? Has Tua done enough to silence the critics? I will say this. uh, I thought Tua made good decisions from start to finish in this football game. And I think them building out the layers of the RPO stuff has really helped him to have answers. I thought there were a couple of plays where he was kind of stuck and didn't have an answer. And he did just enough to let something happen and still make a play. There were only a handful of plays where like he was kind of forced into throwing in a, a ball that was an ill-advisable roll or, or too tight of a window throw. His receivers didn't hang on to a couple of tough catches. But the thing that I noticed in this game that I'm looking for a bounce back for two against the Jets was his feet. Or some instances of Tua working a progression, moving to the next progression, and identifying that throwing opportunity, but not resetting his base. So he's not lined up to throw from the ground up to his target. So what I mean by that is anytime you see a quarterback and he gets to the top of his drop, usually he will either open his his hips to the left or right, or if he's thrown right down the middle, he may just hit straight up and throw. But you want to get some semblance of alignment with your post leg, your front leg, to where you're throwing. And depending on who you talk to, they may say you want to step right at it. You may want to step three inches to the right of it or three inches to the left of it, depending on what direction they're going. But generally speaking, you want your base and your hips to be aligned with wherever you have decided you want to throw the football. So that requires you to reset your feet at the time of throw. Tua gets to the top of his drop, and his eyes are right. And he says, no, I can't work there, so i got to come back to the middle of the field for my next read. And sure enough, that route is open. But his feet stay aligned as if he was throwing to the the right. And that openness in his hips, along with that delivery, and I'm, I'm not a lefty, so if you're watching the YouTube channel, bear with me. But if my hips are open this way, to my right, and I am trying to throw down the middle of the field, my follow through is exaggerated beyond what my target is. And that prompts inconsistencies with ball placement, even small ones. And there were a couple of throws that he made that had that base, that beautiful floater on that critical possession to Gasecki to help ice the game was not aligned to throw. And I thought he had time to get a line to throw. He had a one hopper to Albert Wilson that I think if he would have reset himself, he could have driven through that throw a little bit better and made sure that ball got there safely. It's a simple fix. It's the little things. It's going to happen. And I thought Kurt Warner had some fair criticism or critiquing, not criticism, but he, he... made a comment that Tua Tungvalu was going to have to eventually 
do more if the Dolphins are going to consistently beat the really good teams in the NFL. And I agree. But he is a young quarterback. And at this point in time, we're working our way through it with him. And we're going to see what kind of steps forward he can take. So that's why, for me, that base, after a game in which that was off, is a really important thing to watch. To see how that improves, how that realigns, if you will, in Week 15 against the Jets. We shall see. That's going to do it for another episode here of Locked on Dolphins. Really appreciate everybody tuning in and watching or listening. We're on the YouTube channel at Locked on Dolphins. Make sure you like this video, subscribe. If you are listening, make sure you hit subscribe on the podcast and keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Kyle Krabs, thanks as always for listening. Make it a great Thursday. We'll talk with you again tomorrow. Fins up.